Berserker Cast, Episode 5, Evolve or Die Review. Golden Spiral Media presents Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304-837-2278 or email feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. And now, Berserker Cast. Welcome back to Berserker Cast. I'm Daryl. And I'm Emily. How you doing tonight? I am doing a lot better now that we are talking about Falling Skies. Oh, doing a lot better? Does that mean that you've had some sort of rough day or something? I've had a rough week. (laughs) I know it's only Tuesday. (laughs) It is Uh, only Tuesday. (laughs) But no, I'm glad to be here. It's putting me in a good mood. Lifting my spirits. That's all we can ask for, right? That is, yeah, definitely. And you've got your Fringe Division shirt on that uh, you got from uh, Kennewolf23. It makes me feel better yeah. on the inside. I've got my Golden yeah. Spiral Media t-shirt on tonight. Very Should nice. be good times. We are well dressed <laughs> for the podcasting occasion. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I love the podcasting dress code. I don't miss the uh, corporate dress code that I gave up. Not oh, that I had man. a real strict corporate dress code. I wore jeans most days, but, you know, <sighs> I don't even have to put on shoes anymore. It's great. <laughs> Living the life, man. Living the life. <laughs> That's right. Well, regardless of what your dress code is, where you work, we're glad that you've joined us for today's episode of uh, Berserker Cast, where we are talking about season four, episode four of Falling Skies, entitled Evolve or Die. And this episode aired on Sunday, July 13th, 2014. It was directed by Bill Eagles and written by M. Raven Metzner. Now, that's a mouthful. I like yeah, that name. Yeah. That's a great author's name. And we had a really cool guest star this week, Mira Sorvino as Sarah. Have you seen her in anything else? Yeah, and I didn't recognize her until I was looking up the actress that played it. And I was, oh, that was, it was Mia Sorvino. I, I didn't recognize her without uh, Phoebe oh. uh, partying next to her, you know, going to the prom or the class reunion. You haven't seen that one? What was the movie again? Uh, uh, I don't remember the name of it. It's uh, the girl who played Phoebe from Friends, uh, Lisa Kudrow. Oh, okay. And Mia Sorvino. They play these high school friends going back to their class reunion, and <sighs> they want to try to impress people, and so they make up stuff about themselves. It's like something That's in Raimi, Raimi, uh, so, I don't remember Them the two together it. would be a movie worth seeing. I might it's have to actually, find what that one is. It's actually pretty entertaining, yeah. She guest starred on the last season of Psych, which is the only uh, place I know her from. So, and I loved her in that. She was just as crazy as she was in this episode. Yeah, she's also won some awards. She's a very accomplished actress. You know, it's it's great to have her on Falling Skies, and I think she'll be a great addition. I hope she sticks around for a while. Uh, Scorpio (laughs) 1080, who's joining us for the live show, she's saying that is Romy and Michelle is the name of that movie. It's and it's it's. That's right. Sounds right. Romy and Michelle. And then there's a tag like go save the world or go to the <laughs> class reunion or I don't know, something like that. Okay. 
Yeah, go check Scorpio. it out. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, and uh, we got a little feedback, a little more feedback this week. Every week, it's we're getting a little bit more. Thanks, guys, for sending stuff in. But yeah. Corey from Australia uh, mentioned uh, he just he said he wanted to mention how excited he was to see the introduction of Sarah portrayed by the wonderful Mira Sorvino. She he's been a big fan of hers for a long time and thinks the character is going to be the hardcore chick of Pope's dreams. <laughs> there he certainly set her up that way. We'll definitely be talking about that. By the way, Corey is one of the new hosts of Triple Cast. Their first episode will be out this week as Ooh. they are going to be breaking down Back to the Future. Yes, the Back to the Future trilogy. Yeah. It's good. I've, I'm almost finished with the yeah. edit. I, I should have been oh, done cool. by now. And this is what happened. This um, is conf- short confession time, small rabbit trail. I was editing their episode last week and they're talking about all this stuff. And some of it, some of it I knew and I, I wanted to like relive and some of it I didn't know. And I'm looking up different articles and YouTube videos. And instead of the edit taking me like an hour and a half, it was like three hours later and I'm still only halfway done with the edit because I keep stopping to like check out fun back to the future stuff. So it's good. Oh, you cool. guys are really going to enjoy good. triple cast as it gets relaunched this week with uh, Corey and Travis. Yeah. They're both Corey good. and Travis. Yeah. Yeah. I also, before we get into the discussion for this week's episode, I wanted to mention something that Bags, Bags, Bags sent to us. She also sent us in some feedback for last week's episode, and I overlooked it. It, was, it came in through SpeakPipe, I, and I, I blanked last week, forgot to check SpeakPipe, and okay. Bags, 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 I apologize for that. But after we did last week's podcast, she also sent in a little bit of feedback saying that ammonium nitrate, because we were talking about, hey, how common is it? Is it How, how realistic yeah. is that? She said, yeah, that's what a fertilizer bomb is. And that's what they use, of course, oh, here sure. where I live in Oklahoma City. I, <laughs> I just don't know anything right. about explosives. I feel like such a doofus for not immediately making that connection. But yeah, ammonium nitrate is basically like a fertilizer bomb. Very common, okay, she well, says. Okay, well, that's that, or those very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks, Bags, Bags, Bags. Yeah, definitely. Can we call her Bags Squared or Bags Cubed? I mean, Bags Cubed. Q-Bag. Bags, Bags to the third power. Bags. That's probably a little bit more Triple Bags. Never mind. (laughs) The Bag Trifecta. I don't know. We'll have to ask her what nickname she prefers. I think those are some really solid possibilities. Yeah. We gave you plenty of options, so you can just choose your most least favorite. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, let's get into some episode discussion. All right, lots of good stuff. This is another one of those transition weeks, which makes the discussion a little bit challenging because we like to break it down into different groups. We had Team Tom, Team Ann, Team Lexi, and Team Matt there for the longest time. Lexi and Anne merged last week, so they're all combined into this week. But then we had stuff happening this week where you start out with Hal and Tom and Weaver and all those guys together, and then part of them break off, and then they kind of re same with Pope, and then he comes back. And so we're going to make the best of this. We'll just uh, you guys stick with us, and we'll we'll do the best we can. But we're going to start with Team Tom trying to stay out of sight as they're meeting up with the Volm. Weaver thinks he sees something, so it kind of picks up right there where. Last week left off, except obviously last week was under the cover of night where he thought he saw something. This is going to be something that's going to kind of build as the episode goes on where he's trying to figure out is it all in his imagination or does he indeed keep seeing something? And a lot of our listeners from last week uh, were were right about this. We'll obviously talk about it when the moment in the episode comes when it's revealed as to what is 
following him. Yeah, I liked I liked how they kept it building mm-hmm. and that we we could uh, make some assumptions, we could make some guesses. And even though I think a lot of us weren't really surprised, you still were surprised. And and this kind of from the very beginning they helped to draw it out just by kind of giving him that erratic behavior constantly. Tom is Tom constantly having to wrangle him back in and say, "Come on, focus, man. Got our eye on the prize here." Right. Even from the very beginning. <laughs> and it would be hard when you're getting distracted like that. He's He hasn't been the same all season, and, and people keep no. mentioning that. So I still think that's a possibility of some sort of plot twist or something that could could happen at some point in the season because Weaver's not the same. And it could just be that he's his, he's distracted because he's he's wondering what's going on with his daughter. And maybe yeah. now that that's been resolved, he'll he'll be back to what we would, you know, expect from him but he's definitely been different all season right well from the very first moment he was thrown into the cell next to tom Mm -hmm. he was just i mean i think he's actually gradually gotten better but right away there he was off his rocker crazy i mean he was mumbling and just yeah i think he was more erratic than he is now so i don't know maybe it was just the trauma of losing his daughter in that fashion but we'll we'll get to more of that because I have some observations yeah. from the last scene there. But yeah, no. Uh, so I really liked the. There were a lot of really cool details inserted into this episode, and one I see you have here in the show notes. There are seventy one survivors with Team Tom, and mm-hmm. some of the survivors or some of the people that escaped from the Charleston ghetto actually split off and went off on their own. And and I really like that they mentioned that, you know, not because it's going to hold any intrinsic value to our overall perception of the show, but just because it kind of helps to give it, uh, I don't know, a deeper reality here that Mm -hmm. not everybody is going to be sticking by Tom. Not everybody wants to keep fighting. Some people are probably just trying to get off and survive in another way. And some people probably want to try to return to wherever they were before they were captured by the Ishvini in hopes that they yeah. can find or, or re- rejoin with loved ones or who, who knows what, you know, fill in the blank. So, yeah, it definitely makes sense that not everybody would suddenly join Team Tom and, and the Second Mass. Yeah. So then we get to meet another Volm member. And I, you know, they do such a great job with all of these costumes because how difficult must it be not to only not uh, to not only develop how a, a different species, a different race mm-hmm. looks, but also to give them such minor variations, but drastic variations within their own species. So as to make them distinguishable, this shack guy that we get to meet in this episode, yeah. he doesn't look like Cochise. And I don't know whether it's just because we've been looking at Cochise for so long now or what, but, they do a good job of making these char- these characters distinguishable. <laughs> and even now the Ishveni seem to be distinguishable too. Yeah. So last week I made a comment about the Ishveni. And I said, well, they all look the same to me. I guess I'm racist against fish head looking aliens. <laughs> this week I made it a, a, a point to really take some time and, and look at the details of the aliens. And again, feeling silly that I hadn't really taken the time to do that before, just kind of taking them at face value. Yeah. They're quite distinct actually. (laughs) Yeah. They are quite distinct. Yeah. I think half of our problem though is how dark the episodes are. Sometimes it's just hard to, they're, they're such dark features or I don't know what exactly it is, but so it's not always our fault. 
but we could be doing a better job of paying closer attention. Yes. Thank you for the lecture, Mommy Emily. Anytime. (laughs) I'm practicing. Yeah. I like that uh, we get a nice pronounceable name. His real name was Shakshik, (laughs) blah, 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 blah. And Hal didn't even like Shakshik. He called him Shaq and then he... he, (laughs) Shaq Sheik corrected him to, to say, you're at least going to call me Shaq Sheik. But isn't that what I said? <laughs> the, yeah. It seems like affectionately, even on some of the fan wiki sites and blogging sites, I took a peek at to try to figure this out. Like what was his real name? Everyone uh-huh. seemed to be calling him Shaq with a Q, uh, like you would abbreviate <laughs> it. So uh, he's right. tall too. So, hey, it seems yeah. pretty fitting. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I like it. Uh, Riblet wrote in. Actually, Riblet called in, but his audio was really garbled, so I, I transcribed it for so we could include oh. it. And he said it was fantastic that they brought in another speaking Volm character, and this uh, Cochise's second-in-command, Shaq, was a fantastic addition, and he hopes that we'll get more of him and more of him talking in a, in a talking role to possibly uh, a counterpoint to Weaver. So hmm. I hope I hope he's in more of a, a speaking role too, just because it would be nice to see more of the Volm represented, get a better idea of uh, other opinions and other points of view rather than just Cochises, because that gives us a broader understanding of where the Volm stand in certain things. So I think it's a, right. a, a valuable thing to have more than one Volm speaking character from that point of view, uh, as well yeah, as what uh, Riblet said. Particularly since, was it, was it, I think it was even the, the first episode when um, Cochise told Tom that uh, his companions that he had come back with weren't all on board with him actually visiting Tom mm-hmm. in the ghetto, too. So we know that they're, they're, they have their orders and they probably have differing points of view on how to carry those out. So, yeah, I agree. It'll be I hope that he gets more speaking boy because Weaver has been very outspoken against the Volum in the past. And mm-hmm. I think it, it's it might be settling now that. <laughs> they're all in the same kind of situation, but maybe this guy will be able to stand up to Weaver in that way. Mm-hmm. So that'd be cool too. Yeah, definitely. We we know that the Volm have some very sophisticated weaponry and some advanced technology that's far beyond what we are capable of here, or at least that the, our, our humans would have access to in this you know stage of of Earth that they're in. I thought it was really cool that he that Cochise revealed that they have these drones that are a fraction a fraction of the size of the common house fly that we know. And so that gives you an idea of uh, just how, how incognito these drones would be and how valuable they would be. It's, it's good to be met, meeting up with the Volm from very practical things like that, where they have access to mm-hmm. these types of defensive mechanisms that can really help them in this battle. Right. And after, after all that even Hal has seen, these guys do these aliens these volm it's amazing that he doesn't immediately jump on the volm's warning knowing you know these guys have perfected Mm -hmm. intergalactic space travel let's give them that for number one (laughs) (laughs) number two (laughs) they are warning you that there is a threat coming and i mean i can understand hal's hesitation of course but even so it's not like they're playing around they're not they're not here for the humans anymore we don't know why they're back, really, do we? That hasn't been explicitly stated. Uh, I think there's still an investment in the humans, but I think the the larger picture is that they just want to eradicate the Ishveni. Yeah, I would agree. 
So as they're gearing up to leave, Weaver insists on going with Tom instead of Hal. I think Tom wants to take Hal first to go retrieve Ben. And Weaver gives him this nice, very passionate speech about, you know, if at the drop of a hat, if I have to go after your son, I'm going to go. If we had to go after my daughter, we'd go. Something along those lines. And I really liked it because it just, you know, once again, draws it back to family. And Mm -hmm. right now... Tom is the closest thing he has to family and they're sticking together. So I, I really, I always just like it when they bring it back in like that. Well, and it's a very motivating thing. And that was important for them to get that dialogue out there with the, the thing in the, you know, that kept tracking Weaver. It helped kind of set the foreshadowing that he was going to get some resolution to that thing. That, right. You know, is driving him. Right. Yeah. And I, and then once again, we go back to the erratic behavior of Weaver who, <laughs> Even Cochise is able to notice yeah, as yeah. he kind of like creeps off looking for the thing that's following him. But my question here is, why is Weaver the only one that can hear it following them? I thought the same thing. You know, you would think that Cochise would have some. Yeah. Some special. Super hearing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got so many <laughs> other really cool least. things. You would think hearing would be a little bit more sensitive. At the very least, Tom, who would have equal hearing to Weaver, you would think would hear it. But. I don't know. It didn't make sense to me unless it was just one of those parental instincts. You just, you couldn't, she was really being quiet, but something within him was just drawing him to her. I don't don't know. Well, and didn't we talk about last week, the possibility that there, there's some sort of link between them two. I can't remember exactly what we had been talking about, but yeah, I don't remember that, but we could have, I've slept since then. Really? Once or twice. Makes one of us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah um what about Hal being left behind in charge what, what were your thoughts on the decisions or maybe a lack of decisions that he made and and um the conversations that pope lofted towards Hal? that all of that what do you think yeah well you know Hal is still a very inexperienced leader yeah i i don't i mean he's definitely getting there he's he's got all the makings of it he has the voice for it he has the I wouldn't call it tenacity, but he certainly is bold enough to stand up to people like Pope who, you know, put me up there and I would not do very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my, I guess my question always is, seems like Tom leaves Hal in control because Hal is just too scared to do anything stupid. He's not going to leave. He's not going to he's not going to make any risky runs to go get anything. And, and that's kind of why he gets so scared and protective about what everybody's going to be doing, especially Pope going off and possibly driving people or driving the enemy back into their camp. But I don't know. So do you, uh, do you think Tom just doesn't have any more options or do you think he's purposely leaving Hal because he knows he can control what he does? I think it was his best option. He's not going to leave just for the practical reality. Hey, this is a TV show. They're not going to appoint somebody a leader who is a new person to the audience. And so I think just from yeah. the, you know, kind of breaking the fourth wall there, practically speaking, it had to be Hal or Pope. And th- there's a clear winner there in Tom's eyes. What as about to who, Tector? I don't, yeah, Tector. I think he would put Tector in charge before he would Pope, but <laughs> n- none of those yeah. guys from Tom's point of view are going to be right. put in charge before his own son would be because he knows that he can trust him. I don't know that it's a matter yeah, of I guess it's he thinks trust. that Hal won't is is too scared to make tough decisions or to, to try to do something crazy. 
I think that it's just that he can trust him to not be rebellious or go, Hey, I'm in charge. I've been wanting to do this. Let's go do that. Like Pope would have and did, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. I think that's really all no, it is. That's a, that's a really good fine line drawn there yeah. that you made. It was, you know, there's a difference between knowing that he won't do anything stupid and trusting him that he'll make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I like that a lot. And better. I think that he was probably expecting with the Volm also there with them, that if any tough decisions had to be made, that they would make them together. And, it really yeah. almost didn't come down to that. It kind of luckily came down to that because the Volm were going to do their own thing and it just happened to match up with what Hal chose to do. Uh, I th- <laughs> but I think he was kind of counting on Hal not having to make any really yeah. tough life-saving decisions and, and that just didn't well, turn out to be the case, of course. Yeah, well, when they're, they're only planning on being gone for 48 hours. So what could possibly go wrong in right. 48 hours? Exactly. <laughs> Famous last words. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're following... Cochise and Tom and Weaver out to, uh, they said it's about a day's walk to where uh, Cochise spotted Matt being held in this camp. Mm-hmm. He, he describes the camp to Tom as being different than the one he had been held in. Right. And as they're scoping it out, they don't see him. But as they're waiting, Cochise is attacked by the thing. Yeah. What was your first impression of that thing when it came out? It was awesome. It was humanoid, <laughs> so I felt really strongly that it was that it was genie. Look, we had to remember, yeah. and you know, I mentioned this in our recap, and I think we, you know, the the series recap that we did, and I think we mentioned it mm-hmm. last week as well. The skitters were harnessed creatures. They have mm-hmm. not always been skitters. Skitters is not their what was the word I'm looking here for here? That's that's not their species or, or biology whatever, of origin. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. They've been modified. And yep. so when you look at that reality, that, that fact, it was interesting to see what they did here. You know, she had a human like pigment of skin. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell if she had grown extra arms or not. Sometimes I thought that she had, and sometimes I thought that she hadn't, but she was humanoid it enough looked like looking. there were weird little stunted horns coming off her butt. That's what it looked like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. like crawling through the video and I'm going, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Whatever it was, it was, it yeah. was definitely alien like and definitely humanoid enough that I felt pretty strongly that it was genie. But yeah. At the same time, it's bleeding black blood and it has venom. So it's clearly massively right. different than a human would be. Right. And as Weaver is kind of touching the residue mm-hmm. that had been on the ground, it almost looked like oil. Mm-hmm. Oil or I'm not even sure what else. Maybe really thick paint, but very, very very genetically altered human blood mm-hmm. by any means. Yeah. So whatever they're doing, they're running on something different. Clearly because they have, I mean, even even when we got that nice close-up of Genie at the very end, mm-hmm. you still couldn't really figure out what all was going on <laughs> with, her, with what had been altered. I mean, it, I think we have some feedback later. I don't want to get into this too early. Right. That kind of yeah, touches on this, but... Yeah, I mean, it's clearly running on something different. You've never seen anything like that before. I'm sure Weaver, in all of his experience, has never seen an animal bleed like this before. So we got to know it's alien. Yeah. I was I was interested in the fact that it just attacked Cochise. I mean, over the course of its 
of what we were shown of the beast of genie it it made a lot of really weird decisions and so the first one here when it attacks cochise i guess i just assumed that she was trying to protect her father in some way that was the assumption that i made too but but on my second watch near the end of the episode uh there's a skitter she's attacked by a skitter and you would think that mm-hmm. she would be on the same side as the skitter both of them I mean, that, that skitter was clearly not a rebel skitter. It was working in the camp right. there where Matt was. Clearly a, an Ashveni skitter. She's clearly an Ashveni creation. She attacked Cochise, so you would think that she did that because of some sort of Ashveni manipulation that has gone on within yep. her. So, yeah, I'm having trouble figuring out what's going on here. Yeah. Did, did the skitter recognize her as being out? Side of where she like she's escaped from somewhere. She's oh. she's on her own, so therefore she the skitter rec- recognized that fact and that was cause enough to want to kill her. I don't know. I thought it was very interesting though that these these different battles were fought. Yeah, you know the choices that she made all throughout this. You know, it seemed like she was trying to protect him, but at the same time she was going about it in a very odd way, which I guess we shouldn't really be surprised about since she's been genetically altered her brain is probably way messed with yeah and it could be nothing more than what he said at the very end where he said that this the ashvini have made a huge mistake they can't win they can't overcome the human will or the human spirit however he termed that and Mm -hmm. and that really is what it could be just as simple as that genie was still in there but she was also not fully there because she had been clearly manipulated and altered by the Ishveni. And there was a battle that was going on. And sometimes she could rise up and, and, and make decisions that were contrary to what the Ishveni had programmed or put in her to do. And sometimes, yep. you know, it, it fought back and she wasn't able in that moment to, to overcome that new instinct that had been put within her. Uh, it could just yeah. be as simple as that. Yeah, I like that because there were there were a couple times when it just looked like she was fighting so hard against an Ashveni order, for example, that she overdid a task that her her human self wanted to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just kind of ripping ta- or rip, ripping Weaver out of the hallway or something like that. Right. Yeah. And, and when you think about it in the in that way, you know, we're jumping a little bit ahead here to to when you know, Weaver realizes, but it's it's heartbreaking. It really is yeah. to, to realize what had been done to her. You know, he makes the comment she's she she's better off dead, and she you know yep. that's a hard thing for a hard reality a for a parent to have to come to. Yeah. But in this case, in this make believe world that we're we're experiencing <laughs> here, he's right. Um, right. so they do. So we got ahead there. Sorry, that's my fault, but uh, oh, okay. not, not too big of a deal, I don't think. But yeah, they finally get to the camp where Matt is being held. They sneak in and, and not, you know, they wait till dark, a good, good tactic. They made the mistake though of thinking that all these kids were going to be eager to leave. Hey, where's Matt? Can you tell me where Matt is? <laughs> and then the yeah. whistleblower comes just, uh, right. yeah. Well, even before they walk into the to the bunker, the barracks, yeah. the, who it was Tom or Weaver who said it looks like Hitler Youth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks like a Hitler Youth camp, and I mean that should have been your first indication. But yeah. no, yeah, I, I, you know, I thought he walked right to the bed where he, or where Matt used to sleep, right across from Mira. Uh-huh. It looked like he he walked right to that bed, but yeah, I loved that. I loved that it was just not an easy ride in there, and but um. Mira does show up, whatever she was doing, wandering out in the hallways. <laughs> yeah, it was convenient. 
very convenient. Uh, she brings him right to where Matt is being held in probably a basement, basement cellar, yeah. something like that. Just in time, a few minutes later, I don't think Team Leader was trying to kill Matt. I think he was trying to, it looks like he hit him in a sleeper hold maybe, but, but yeah. maybe he was trying to choke him out. Um, but either way, Dad arrives just in time and does, does the thing that I think a lot of us have been wanting to do to, to uh, <laughs> Team Leader. He, he's got a name. What What is his name? Kent. Kent. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Punches him out. Yes. Punches him out. <laughs> I like oh, that. Oh, that poor guy. You know... I think I wrote down some of the things that he was saying, but they're kind of lost in here. Just some of the things that uh, that team leader had been brainwashed into saying to Matt. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's probably. I yeah. was really. I know we're jumping into Matt now here too, but that's fine. Um, that's where the. That's why I said at the top of the show these these storylines kind of start crossing over a little bit, it makes it a bit challenging. Yeah. So Kent wants Matt to give up the other kids who were in his little rebellion group. Mm-hmm. And I liked, it was interesting. He said, this isn't a shakedown. <laughs> we're not, we're not trying to force this out of you. We, you're going to do this because you want to do this. You know, he's <laughs> still in that brainwashing mode and every, everything that Matt said, he had a defense for. And it was just like, this is, this is some deep, deep brainwashing. And I can't imagine I mean, do you have to be weak-minded in order to be brainwashed or just undisciplined? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But it was so odd how team leader or Kent is trying to make it seem like Matt is the weak-minded one. He's the one with the yeah. false reality. The Ashvini didn't attack us. They tried to keep us from attack. You know, I was like, what? Yeah. Where did you get this from? How How did you lose your touch with reality to this point where you've allowed yourself right. to believe the exact opposite of what really happened? Yeah, that is very true. They have come in and completely changed the story as the primary mode of entry into this brainwashing. They have they have altered the actual foundation on what these people believe as truth. And man, that is just rude. <laughs> just rude. That's one way of putting it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, here we have Matt and his will. I mean, one of the biggest themes that seems to be this season already is just that, you know, you you can take our lives, but you can't take our will. Mm-hmm. And Corey from Australia had a very good point on this. You know, he says that the Asfini are infiltrating the human race from almost all sides, spiritually, physically and emotionally. But they are still missing one entry point willfully. And this will be their downfall. And. He nailed it. I mean, there you cannot take the human, the will out of the human. Yeah. It's just impossible. You can't control it. You can't, you can't even harness it. <laughs> it is, it is going to be there whether, whatever you do. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great way of putting it, Corey. Uh, excellent. So they rescue Matt. Uh, um, and this is really the point we've kind of already talked about. And we've got some great listener feedback here about Weaver encountering Jeannie. I, I will say though that it was it was really hard, heartbreaking when you hear her try to to speak and she and she says "Daddy," you know, boy, that yeah. was just it's sad. Yeah. It's so heartbreaking. It sounded like there was a little bit of a human voice intermingled with a almost mechanical voice, yeah. especially when she was groaning there at the very end. Um, Gannon wrote in. I liked this point, too. He said, I know Tom and the others keep calling them humanoid skitters or skitterization. 
or whatnot, but what exactly are the Asfini turning the humans into? The designs do resemble a skitter, and I think it's safe to assume Genie was not through uh, the process completely, both physically and mentally, but what are the Asfini turning the humans into? I really hope that they're not just turning them into old-fashioned skitters, but rather human mutant skitters. I enjoy the skitters, but I think this presents an opportunity to finally introduce a new main enemy. Plus, it wouldn't really make sense for Scorch to say that they are creating a new elite frontline army if all they are doing is just turning them into skitters. I'd love to hear your thoughts. What do you think the final process is going to be? What do you think their their goal is in this new I don't know, personage that they're trying to create. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be exactly like skitters either. Uh, as far as we know, skitters aren't poisonous when they bite you. I don't know that we've ever had yeah, anybody experience that type of wound from getting bitten or attacked by a skitter. So I think we can look at that and say, yeah, there's at least one distinction here. Um, I couldn't begin to, I, I don't really know what they, the Ishvini intend them to be. I would hope that they would, if they're smart, which they've, proven themselves to be smart, but yet make some foolish decisions. But I would, I would think that they would try to tap into some of the things that make humans unique. And we yeah. don't know what skitters looked like before they were manipulated. Maybe they already had six legs. Maybe yeah. they had four and they added two to them through their, through their mutant mutinization process. <laughs> totally a word. Yeah. I, I approve. <laughs> it is. Well, that's funny because that's exactly what I was thinking, you know, after reading his feedback, the final process, it really did look like she was a failed experiment. Like she had yeah. escaped from a camp too soon. And perhaps the Ashvini use the an identical process on everybody that they harness, you know, everybody that they control. Mm -hmm. But the the biology of the skitters made them, I don't know, maybe stronger or, well, not even stronger, but it seemed like it seemed like they attempted the same type of process on humans, but since their biology was different, they had different set of arms and legs that it just did not work very well. Mm. <laughs> I mean, clearly it did not work very well, but yeah, I'm not sure if I've thought that out thoroughly, but well, that's a definite possibility. But we also learn, and I don't, I don't want to jump too far ahead here, but we also learn from that really important conversation that we got between the two Eshvini overlords that there are multiple methods, multiple plans of attack, if you will, that's happening yep. here. So, yeah, it could be any of those things that you mentioned, though. But I, I think we all agree that she wasn't quite done yet. She she got taken out of the oven a little too early. Yeah. I thought she looked like a demon from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, personally. Have you, you've never seen that show. Is that a show or a movie? I'm, I'm kidding. referring to the, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm referring to the TV show because yeah. I mean the movie, meh, but definitely on the television show, it just mm -hmm. seemed like all of those demons were of this exact variety. <laughs> but um, yeah, I you remember last season when they were out looking for Anne and the, uh, Jeannie and Weaver are riding on horses and Jeannie looks over to her father and says, Whatever happens, don't let them get me. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she thought something like this was going to happen. Yeah. And she, you know, obviously she was right. It's, it's, yeah. it's terrifying. It's, oh, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. And, and, and if they reach the point where the, the Ashvini, because I think it's absolutely reasonable to assume that there are others like Jeannie or that are more advanced than Jeannie who yep. have a core of humanity within them, but are no longer humans. And it's going to be really yep. 
interesting to mm. see how the show handles that. If they, yeah. if the team Tom or, or whomever will easily be able to make the distinction and say, look, they're not human anymore. Kill at will. Or if there will be mm-hmm. a segment that will say, no, there's still some humanity in there. And maybe when this is all said and done, there'll be a way that we can reverse it. Like we were able to do with those harnessed kids. We, you know, the volume gave us some technology that enabled us to reverse the damage. Right. And so what will they do? Will they try to not shoot and kill the humanoid, you know, the skitterized humans, whatever it is. It's going to be really interesting to see because that, that's got to be something that would happen. Jeannie is not alone. She's yeah. not an army of one. Oh, There's got definitely. to be others and, and, and that didn't get out of the oven a little early. Right. And even when we're confronted with harness kids, uh, you know, a couple in a couple different seasons, they had the Ashvini instructed the kids to open fire on mm-hmm. some of the second mass. What do you do in that situation? That's, These I forgot are, about that uh, I mean, scene, yeah. There would just be uh, somebody's kid out there that you're about to shoot, but they can't help it. They're, they don't know what they're doing, probably. You know, on the other hand, as this just came to mind, we did have rubble skitters. Right. So making the connection here because perhaps the way Genie is is actually what they all look like. <laughs> because... If you have skitters who turned out right and mm-hmm. skitters who are rebellious, maybe I mean, so. just a thought. Yeah, it's it a good be. thought. Yeah. And then it also makes it even more enlightening to think about how grotesque the skitters appear, how and how grotesque genie appeared to us that it could have they could have been beautiful creatures once before this all happened. Mm-hmm. Or they could have been ugly and and. Uh... Uh, what is, is it a Twilight Zone episode? They got uglified and, uh, no, no, no. It's from the, it's from, it's one of the books from the uh, Chronicles of Narnia. The Uglified. Yeah. They got uglified by the wizard. You don't remember this? Man. There were the, I don't duffel, remember this. The duffel pods or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. When they're, uh, in Prince Caspian, when they arrive on that Island with the guy yep. with the mansion, and they're were, all invisible. Were these the invisible ones? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You never know. Took me a moment. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Maybe they were uglified. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it was very sad to watch Weaver hold yeah. Jeannie in her arms, in his arms as she breathed her last. But, you know, it, it, she was really given a fate worse than death. I mean, can't imagine the pain it went through just to undergo that transformation. Mm-hmm. But Right. Right. Probably also trying to actively fight whatever is commanding her to make choices must be painful as well. So Weaver eventually makes his way back to meet up with Tom and Cochise. And Cochise is, he's been in the oven long enough to get magically healed again, which was <laughs> freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but Matt comes up to Weaver and just gives him this big hug. And it was exactly what a dad who just lost his kid needed at that moment. Do you mm. think Matt did that? Or if it was, it was just one of those happy coincidence things that, that Matt did and, and just was the perfect thing that Weaver needed in that moment. Do you think he was conscious? I think the latter. Yeah. No, no, I, you know, I just, I keep reminding myself of certain things along the way, you know, how Weaver was really the one who let Matt start making well started being almost a soldier you know he gave him tasks mm-hmm. last season and helped and you know trained him up and let him go out with the berserkers and and weaver was the one who did it with jimmy too so 
Weaver, it's not that Weaver has been more of a father to to him than Tom has, but just that he has become so fatherlike in his role of just bringing him up in the second mass mm-hmm. that and and Matt probably genuinely missed everyone. He's been separated from all of his second mass family. Right. So, yep. no, I definitely I definitely think it was a happy accident and and I liked it because, you know, it just as he is kind of turning optimistic about Jeannie's death as he's saying, you know, she's better off this way. It's better off that she's dead. And and then he just gets this huge bear hug from Matt. It was, it was perfect. Yeah. It was nice. It was a great way to end that. Yeah. And Matt didn't let go very easily. <laughs> right. Exactly. And Weaver didn't seem like he wanted him to, yeah. but yeah, back to the whole family dynamic. Exactly. Well, One he's, you know, just a reminder that Weaver's not alone, you know, even because, even because Jeannie's dead, he hasn't lost his whole family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Well, Barb wrote in or, or called in and she has some thoughts about Matt and the food. You know, we talked last week about maybe they're putting some brainwashing medicine or oh, yeah. whatever into the food. Barb's got another idea. She's got some thoughts on Jeannie as well. Here's what she had to say. Jeannie, we suspected she had an alien form and sadly she did. And she died in her father's arms. But how did she get that way? I think she wasn't drinking the Kool-Aid, but instead was drinking the soup. The junior Nazi camps only fed their charges soup on a daily basis, and Matt was offered soup by his leader while he was in jail, so perhaps that's how the kids are being transformed. Let's watch for either Matt to have strange symptoms or for him to have an encounter later with his former first girlfriend, who could be the next creature feature on the menu. That, creature feature. Yeah, I love the creature feature. That's I love it. scary. If, if the soup oh, man. is the deal, then yikes. Then he's in for it. Yeah. But I think something is up with the soup. And I hope it was what we said last Hmm. week, because that means he's free from it now. Yep. Maybe some residual effects, but... Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. But they clearly haven't been really affecting him. Maybe maybe a little bit physically, but... Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. It's It's a good thought, Barb. And Scorpio over here in the chat room, she had a good thought about... um, the what if the skitters are Volm kids that have been skitterized, and that's why the Volm have oh, such an interest in what's going on. That's sad. Mm-hmm. But we know that the Ashvini were attacking the Volm kids that yep. they had they had put into hiding. So, hey, yep. I could totally see that being the case. That's such a good idea. I'm wondering why I hadn't heard anybody mention that before. That's a really good idea. We'll have to write that one down. Yeah. Remember for, yeah. Remember that one, Scorpio. If you're right on that one, you got to call in and give it up to yourself. That's okay when you when you have a good theory like that that comes out. Uh, some more thoughts we got on Jeannie. Gannon wrote in again and said, uh, another great episode. Definitely a sad one. In shows like this, you can never get too attached to a character. And with this episode, it was just one more reminder. I really enjoyed Jeannie and thought she brought a lot to the table in terms of her and Weaver's relationship. It was actually one of my favorite relationships on this show, and I'll miss it. Props to Lacey J. Maley, who played Jeannie. And a great touching scene between her and Weaver. A nice heartfelt goodbye that unfortunately awakened the dark truth. Mm-hmm. Very. Yeah. Riblet said, I've noticed a lot of previews that involve multi-legged aliens that I can't recall seeing in the past. And so he wonders if they are giving us a preview of what they're turning the humans into ultimately 
And what we saw with Genie is a first stage in evolution or a failed attempt. Yeah, and I haven't seen hmm. those. I'm not sure. I, I either I haven't noticed them in some of the previews, or I haven't seen that preview. Um, but I, I I usually watch all the previews, so I guess I'm just not. I guess I missed it, or I'm not exactly sure which one he's talking about. What about you? Yeah, I don't think I I've I haven't seen anything out of the ordinary, but I also kind of just tune out the same Falling Skies commercials over and over. So mm-hmm. definitely could have thrown something in there that I didn't see, but that'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, they shows have known to subtly introduce different villains through their promos, yep. without really trying to give away spoilers. So yeah, yep, yeah, but definitely with the failed attempt, <laughs> like we were just talking about. It's it could go either way, and I really hope that it's a failed attempt because that looked really traumatic. Yeah, it looked terrible. Yeah, and it didn't look comfortable either. I mean, she was hopping around like, you know, a wolf boy in a costume back in one of the <laughs> early nineties gothic. What was it you movies. tweeted during the show? You called it uh, you called it or something? Did no. I call it Gollum? It was something to tie in the mole rat boy from Fringe. Oh, yeah. Mole rat girl. <laughs> she no, looks like mole rat that. girl. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that was the first. Yeah, that was the first thing. It was Gollum and then mole rat girl were the first two yeah. things that came to mind. <laughs> uh, Corey from Australia also said, I can't express the pain I feel for Weaver and the, at the loss of Jeannie. Although I had already guessed at the conclusion of who or what was following them, it didn't make the scene any less tragic. Very true. Yeah. By that time, we kind of knew what was coming, but it's still, it's just heartbreaking just to see all that these guys have lost and yet just one more blow. Very sad. Yeah. And I think it shows just how well it was executed by everybody involved that we all kind of knew what to expect. There, there wasn't a surprise as that it was Genie, but it still broke our hearts nonetheless. So it wasn't wasn't spoiled by the fact that we had figured out that it was Jeannie. And, and uh, so that's, that just right. shows it was well done by everybody. Yeah, very true. All right, should we get back to Team Hal? <sighs> All right, let's swing back around to Team Hal. Pope, you know, last week he stepped up, right? He stepped he up. He stepped up. He peed on Chandler who, who or Ross, whoever it was that got stung by the jellyfish, <laughs> and he climbed over the wall. <laughs> Sorry, I mixed shows again. That's okay. Um, I actually got this that week, one. Did you? Good for yes. you. Good for you. And I think it was Joey that peed on it Monica. Might, yeah, Joey, yeah, Joey, Joey yeah, peed I'm, on Monica. You're right. You're right. <laughs> well, this week he finds his lobster by the name of Sarah. And, uh, but before that, <laughs> sorry, that was, a little, that was a bit too much of a stretch. Before that happens, he, he's back to being Pope. He's all selfish. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Blah, blah, blah. Short-lived. Yeah. Should have known. Should have known. I really like, though, it was a different kind of selfish. I mean, when he was in the ghetto, he was just, oh, he was insufferable. And not in the not in the typical Pope way, but in the, I'm not going to cooperate with anything you say at all. And at least in this case, he actually wanted to go out and take a risk for the team. But okay. it was probably it was point. probably mostly to defy Hal and to rub yeah. it in, say, yeah. you know, you can't do this, you're too scared. But still, he was doing something positive, altruistic for the team. I'll give you I'll give you all of that point. I think you've made an excellent point. Right. And I, I think too, we have to remember back to the season premiere when Hal and Pope duked it out and yep. Pope you know, overcame Hal's efforts quite easily. Yes. And so he de- he definitely doesn't want to sit there and take orders 
from Hal. Right. He's proven himself to be better man or more capable, <laughs> however he wants to, you know, go alpha yeah. male on, on Hal. So yeah, he definitely doesn't want to sit there and let's all Twiddle do what thumbs. Hal wants to do. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and Hal is being, I wouldn't say overly cautious, but for, for the, for the time that he's expecting his father to be away, he's being extremely cautious. You know, even, yeah. uh, he, he asked for advice from some of the locals just for where they could find gas, where they could find mm-hmm. fresh water. And he just didn't want to take any risks. Everything was just a little bit too far out. So I, <laughs> sorry, Jim told me. Yeah, nice I just read that, read that too. <laughs> yeah. He's complimenting uh, us on our friends references. Yes, I can do yeah. some things, but yeah. So, uh, I think he was being a little cautious, and and that's just not Pope style, clearly. Yeah, I think too that Hal made a a, a pretty, I hate to say, critical mistake, but it was a it was a very critical mistake I'll, I'll go ahead and say it when he referred to tom as my dad yes we all know that he's your dad but when you're in charge yeah that's kind of a very juniorish type of thing to do very it makes you seem inept um you know i need to wait till my dad gets home to, to <laughs> yeah. be able to answer that you it know sounds whether, a little trite yep it it does he instead he should have said hey let's wait until tom and weaver get back and but then can't you see Pope berating him for that as well? Oh, now you're going to call your dad by his first name. You big I, boy. Yes. <laughs> Pope is going to be Pope no matter what right. Hal said. But you, I think in terms of Hal might have been able to get more support if he hadn't called him my dad. Yeah. You just kind of no, weaken yourself when you, when you use that in that situation. Yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> but, at the, at the, you know, this is a dra- drama show. There had to be some drama. Mm-hmm. And it was a good move. I thought yeah. Hal made the wrong decision in mm-hmm. not going to get the fuel. It was within the perimeter that they had established. Was it on the edge of the perimeter? Yes. But they desperately needed fuel. Mm-hmm. And if Pope wants to go out and risk his life and go get the fuel, hey, Pope, Let go him. play hero. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. so I thought Hal made the wrong decision. Yeah. Well, and it was it was really good drama, really crafted out. Like you just said, you know, we... We have to get Pope on his own. He has to go mm-hmm. find Sarah. And what a better way than Hal being cautious. You know, this is the first time they're really out on their own after breaking out of the ghetto. And he doesn't want to make any more mistakes like he made with Henry. So he's being purposely cautious for a reason. So it was a really mm-hmm. good it was a really good build to that point where Pope says that he needs to go, quote, pee right. <laughs> slash take the car by myself. That's right. Made for some great drama. He found the farm, which uh, was okay. I mean, I, I fine. I guess he figured it out where it was located. I don't know. But it, it, he needed to find it, so that, that was fine. I, yep. I still didn't understand how he knew exactly where to go but or why he slammed well, those brakes. It looks like he oh, just that's took it, you know? one, uh, one road out to the middle of nowhere. It's the only thing yeah. on the side of the road, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Not it a big worked. deal. <laughs> I loved it immediately, though, when Sarah comes out, starts shooting the gun, and and she's the female pope. Oh, it was great! Entirely, <laughs> yes. I think everybody loved this. Yeah, yeah. It was finally like somebody giving him a run for his money, and it was probably yeah. when so, somebody said that, and I don't think Tom or who said it, and Pope. He, you don't think Pope has any money? Maybe though, I can't remember. That was me. I said that was that. you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. 
No, it was great because it kind of threw him off too. It, it, it he he's not used to bantering in this way with people. Like usually he has the upper hand on wit. Mm-hmm. At least on in what he is in the, in that kind of uh, derisive banter, I guess you could call it. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. So she's she's really got one up on him and and really surprises him when he, when she offers him a beer. <laughs> well. Uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> lured him in with warm milk and then drove a tent peg through his temple. <sighs> yeah. But, you know, again, here with the details, you know, she mentions that she was a graphic designer for a company that manufactured water resistant cell phone cases. You yeah. know, I just I just love some of the details they throw in because it completely paints a picture for you about this woman. You know, somebody who was probably confined to a desk all day, you yep. know, chomping at the bit wanting to get out and just do whatever she is passionate about out in the real world and and mm-hmm. now she finally has that opportunity to and she's not holding back but again female pope it seemed like he was the same way he, he just could not be restrained in the way that the world wanted him to be restrained and right so maybe she'll be a little bit more balanced she seemed she seemed a little bit more responsible <laughs> i don't know how exactly I mean that, but you know, <laughs> Pope just seems so irrational sometimes. And she seemed to have things planned out a little bit better. Like she was keeping her stock. She was preparing to take over mm-hmm. the next person who came by. I don't know. Well, I definitely agree with that. She seemed to be well planned and organized. Um, she has the same disdain for authority or disdain. Yeah, I'll go with that word. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, she gets the upper hand on him, but, but the mechs, as soon as the mechs showed up, you knew that the, the ball was, or the upper hand was given right back to, um, right back to Pope because it looked, you could tell pretty easily that she hadn't, she didn't have the experience with the mechs that he did. She didn't even know what to call them. <laughs> right. And I think that's an interesting thing. I mean, we call these things skitters and mechs, but, what do people in California or England or wherever else, yeah. you know, cause it was a worldwide invasion. What, what do, do they, they call, call these things? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think I was interested when Dingan came into the picture because he called them skitters too, but I guess he had been in the United States for a while. So maybe he just picked mm-hmm. up the term, but yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I she hadn't seen that. one before. Yeah. I was, I don't know if it was just a plot point, but Pope convinces her that he's her best chance for escape. And yet he doesn't do a single thing that she couldn't have done alone. <laughs> right. I mean, all they do right. is sneak out. And really, I think she brought him along for moral support, knowing that, you know, if she still had her gun, she could kick him out of the car at any time. <laughs> well, she thought she did. She and, thought she could. She, she kind of revealed there at the moment where they're in the truck. They've escaped from the mechs. She realizes that he's taken her her ammo. She kind of says, "Look, I've been. This has been my plan all along: is to lure you in so that you could take me with you." And and yeah. Uh, so yeah, that her plan was kind of revealed at that point, which again, kind of a very pope thing to do. Yeah, very. The thing I, I liked everything about Sarah. The thing that I didn't like about her was as soon as they get back to where Hal and the Volmar and they're all planning, they're they're about to leave at that point. She's never even met these people before. She doesn't know anything about them. She doesn't know anything about Hal, except for some dialogue that I'm sure Pope filled her brain with on the way back to camp. Yeah. She jumps out of the truck and immediately starts attacking, verbally attacking Hal. I just thought that was, 
I think it was to show that she's kind of a Pope type type of figure, but I thought it was unrealistic, unreasonable and out of line. So that that kind of, I wish she she had kept her mouth shut in that, in that situation. Yeah. And you know, at the same time, you expected her to say something. So I think it was a little bit over the top, but it would have been, I mean, what, she was just going to amble up behind Pope and be like, oh, hi guys, I'm here to stay. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't either. know. I, I mean, I totally see what you're saying and yeah. that it was, it was over the top and it was kind of brutal and harsh, especially when she doesn't even know the guy, but Hey, that's definitely Pope. <laughs> yeah. And I think it just establishes that come next week, Pope and Sarah are on the same team. They're bosom buddies now. Right. He's going to have backup. <laughs> yep. Let's uh, let's see. I think we got some feedback on that. Yeah, Barb had some feedback on Sarah. Let's listen to what she had to say. I really like our new character, Sarah. She is going to give Pope a run for his money, and I'm guessing that he will unwittingly begin to care for someone other than himself this season. This may cause Pope to grow and perhaps realize that there is more to fight for than survival alone. It will also add some nice humor, which is needed in the darkness of the falling skies world. Amen. Yeah, I think she's right. Now, do you think there'll be some romance between Pope and Sarah? Oh, probably. Yeah. Unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want Pope to be happy. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, You know, and maybe maybe it'll be a good thing because maybe it'll just ground him a little bit more and make him just that much more invested in Mm -hmm. the second mass. You know, he's he's had his moments where he's been heroic. But he's also very unpredictable. So maybe this will make him a little bit more predictable. And that would be a positive thing I could see coming from that romance. I, I, we'll, we'll see. I, I, don't, I don't think that'll happen. Um, you don't I think, think he'll, he'll be grounded? No, I think the two of them will just be more huh. Pope. And they'll be together. <laughs> Obnoxious. And and... Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I, th- I think that at the same time, just like Pope has been, very advantageous to have a part of the team. You know, he's... Yep. He is annoying as he is useful, and I think she'll right. be the same way. And I think there'll <laughs> be some romance that'll yeah. have its typical drama after, you know, uh, fallout, if you will. Right. Well, when you have two characters who are pretty much the male and female version of each other, I mean, yeah. that dynamic can play out in so many ways. And so, yeah, yeah I, can, I can see it happening in any number of ways where they're more involved with the community. They're, they completely branch off and go off on their own. I mean, you can see it happening from any sure. angle. So yeah. it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Well, Dingon finds this transmission, reminded me of Lost, except it wasn't in French, but it was this kind of repeating message that ended up being from Lourdes, uh, saying that they there's a place of safety and kind of giving them directions to it. Everything is open to the West. Mm-hmm. Made me think of uh, The Stand again, <laughs> where... Mm. Everybody's kind of moving west, either to the Man in Black or to Mother Abigail. And and kind of in a way, um, Lexi is both of them mashed into one. She's both the hope and the terror. I mean, the Skitters saw her as the terror, kind of like the good people saw the Man in Black as. But it was very, that, that whole thing was very Stephen Kingy to me. Hmm. Well, I haven't read The Stand, so I wasn't familiar with that reference. I'm glad you brought it into play. What I thought of was that last week, Anne and Team Anne found Lexi by 
heading west. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we don't technically know that they headed west. They were they were heading west because she said go in all directions except east because that's the direction they had just been. So that right. they were heading west when she had the dream. They then found Lexi shortly thereafter. So to me, it just pointed to they are due for a rendezvous. Particularly since we got the message, they are yep. definitely going to be rendezvousing yeah. with uh, Lexi probably next week. Yeah. So five episodes in and we'll at least have three fourths of the teams together. Mm-hmm. So when Tom and Weaver arrive back at the uh, compound where they left them, they'll get the message. The The message that they left them, I know it mm-hmm. was some historical thing. I tried to look it up and I got tired. But... <laughs> Did it actually give them the the coordinates? Did he write the numbers on there? No, I didn't catch the reference. I, I guess I didn't pause it at the right time because the times I tried to pause it, I couldn't make any, I couldn't get a clear look at it. So, but I don't think it was a, it was cloaked so that the Ashvini wouldn't get it. So I don't think right. it was anything as clear as numbers. I think it was a reference, a historical reference that basically only somebody with yeah. as much historical knowledge as Tom would get. But he would get it right. and know where to go. Right. No, and and I got that much. It was more of the how how in the world are Tom, well, maybe through Volm or Cochise. There it is. <laughs> I was coming. Hmm. If Cochise has any of his drones left over, maybe they can send him out looking for him. But hmm. I just was curious as to how they're actually going to find where they all went off to. Unless they can track yeah. him or something. I suppose that's possible. Yeah. I don't know. Other than the message that he left was something that he was pretty sure Tom would understand. All right, well, let's get into Team Anne and Lexi because this we didn't get a whole lot of this. We got two or three scenes was all, but holy cow, it was a lot of stuff. Yeah, it was packed, and every piece of it was very, very good. You know, I really liked the opening scenes where Lexi and Anne are talking and you know, those little girls come up and bow to Lexi and yeah. and her mom's like, these people worship you. And man, it's got to be so hard for Anne right now to see this girl who is now a woman, really. She's 21 mm-hmm. years old physically and and speaks like a very well-educated young lady as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she says here at the beginning, um, Lexi says, we follow a nonviolent path. And Anne, who has been saturated in the world, not just dipped in it, says she compares it to the Tibetans who were a nation of pacifists and Lexi thinks she's being patronizing. And it's and it's interesting because she immediately does not want the mothering. She just wants she she says that she wants to be mother and daughter for a while, but she doesn't want the mothering. And if if this was a typical growing up process, she would she would welcome this insight that she would this uh, another piece of the pie, if you will. I'm not sure. It, it it was very. I mean, a lot of things are very red flag about Lexi in terms of you know she didn't want Ben's help. What makes you think you can be a better teacher than any of these books that I've read and. So it's just, once again, she she just wants them to be there and be the symbol of family, but she doesn't really want the contribution that they might provide. Mm, yeah, right. really well said. And she wants them to just kind of fall in line like everybody yeah. else is. She doesn't want them to kind of go against the grain, cause dissension. Right. It's it's really interesting to see Moon Bloodgood and Scarlet burn side by side. They They really did a great job with the casting, I think. Yeah, for sure. I was really, you know, despite the white hair on Lexi, yeah. I was very impressed. 
uh, th- those scenes really drew it out. So I was really yeah. happy about that. And it, and it kind of reassures you that she is at least biologically Anne's, <laughs> mm-hmm. if not. I mean, I know it's just casting and it could have gone any direction, but yeah, they're at least trying to be close. I think so. I th- and I think that Scarlett's doing a great job as well. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's a, it's a great, great casting all around. Um, you know, the, the scene we got there with Anne trying to, well, the, just a type of conversation that they had where, where Lexi is trying to tell her about their nonviolent path and, and Anne is trying to figure things out. It, it's changes drastically. Anne's approach changes drastically. Mm-hmm. Once Ben reveals to her that, hey, by the way, your daughter's been speaking with the Ishveni secretly. She just wants to go out guns blazing immediately, which I was surprised with. Ben was the one that had to hold her back and say, look, we yeah. still need to kind of see where she's at on this. She's still our flesh and blood. And I thought that I would have expected that from Anne, not from Ben, because yeah. Anne has been you know, so desperately trying to find her daughter. You wouldn't think that she would. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, take that approach so easily like she did. Yeah, you know, because I was kind of coming from the other direction going, she has been so erratic this whole time, so passionate and so gung-ho about just getting to Lexi that she's probably just pissed off now that she made it all this way, endured all of that for four months, Mm -hmm. and now she finds that her daughter is cavorting with the enemy. But yeah, I thought uh, I thought Anne and Maggie did very well side by side. They were <laughs> both on the same page. Maggie was finally like, "Somebody finally wants to go out and shoot some guns, <laughs> pose out a gun." Yeah, and poor Ben, he's got his hand. He's got his work cut out for him. He's got his hands full with those two, both wanting yeah. to shoot off their guns. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But we get the the the, the next scene that we get. Uh, and this is chopped up, and I think in the two segments, but you know, basically one scene here, where there's the confrontation. They Anne and and mm-hmm. Ben and and uh, Maggie get there. They confront Lexi. The monk shows up and takes control of Ben. And this is another <laughs> thing that we pointed out in our recap episode before the season. It's important to remember that Ben seems like he's, you know, all well and good, but in, in reality, he's capable of being controlled by the Ashveni yep. still, which is a, yes. an important thing to remember. However, people know when he is being controlled because Maggie knew immediately. So mm-hmm. and there his is spikes, that. glowing spikes, kind yep. of give it away too. Yeah. So it, I mean, yes, he can be controlled, and yes, he can be very dangerous when controlled. And maybe it doesn't even matter that people know or don't know that he's being controlled. But at least there is some sort of warning sign. But right. And I, what what I've always really liked about Ben's connection with the aliens, whether it be the Skitters or the Ishveni, is that he, when 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 he's detached from them, he's he has lingering feelings about what he felt inside of their heads, like because there there actually has to be a connection between the brains in order for whatever translation to take effect, mm-hmm. and and I really I really like that, and I think it makes him a very complex character in that way because he has to balance or he, he has to discern between his own feelings and the ones that he's kind of getting inputted with. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Um, what do you think about the monk referring to Anne as mother? Did I, if I missed something, I'm not sure why he called her mother. Was it just because she's hmm. Lexi's mother or was, is there some sort of connection there that I'm missing? No, I, that that's kind of what I thought too. If this, you know, what I really didn't get was that 
he didn't claim responsibility for doing this to Lexi. Mm -hmm. Because it seems like the Ashveni are arrogant enough to want to claim something like that. So he said that he was, uh, did he say he was the instigator or that he was not the instigator? I think he said he was not. Not the instigator. So, so actually, he might have been the one who did it to her, but he was not the instigator. Mm-hmm. But Ben also said when, when he got his faculties back, he said that the monk was lying. Right. And we don't know. The monk said a few things. That was yeah. one of them. We don't know if he was lying about all of it or just one of those things or, or what. Yeah. There were, yeah, there were a lot of things he said. I, I think one of them, I wrote this down, but I can't remember if the monk actually said it, but Anne asks, why have the Ashvini left this place untouched? And I think it was the monk who said, some believe by finding a way to work together, we can live harmoniously. Right. And, and that's probably more of what Ben was feeling was the lie, because as, right as he breaks off and we go into that scene where the two Ashvini are speaking together, we get a direct contradictory statement to that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. But, yeah. Yeah. But my, my question here, can Lexi control the elements? Can she control wind and lightning and whatever? Or, or is she causing some disturbance, electrical disturbance in the air? Because it doesn't seem like she's ever really focusing it. It's more just that it's reacting to her disturbed yeah, her nature, emotional, emotional yeah. state. I tend to go with the second one there. Now, that's not to say that she could learn to control it, but I think that it's responding that way when she is losing control of her emotions. Okay. Yeah, because uh, at the very end of that scene, uh, the Ishveni tells her to let him go because mm-hmm. and don't give in to their mm-hmm. natural aggression. So that could right. definitely be... Yeah, so it's it's her human emotions that are out of balance, but it's probably her. We don't see the Ashvini having this type of control either. I was going to say her Ashvini DNA that's having the reaction that we're seeing, but I don't even know if that's the case or what exactly. That's a really to, good point because neither part of her DNA really should enable her to do this because mm-hmm. if the Ashvini can control the elements, that why would not have given do it more often. Why? Why have? Yeah. Why haven't they used it yet? So yeah, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked the last three weeks now, we know the last two weeks prior, we'll do it again this week, about this sort of godlike pilgrimage that, that Lexi is on. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus commanded the wind and the waves to, to yep. cease. He had, he had control over the wind and the waves. We heard her say in this episode, a path has been set for me. I just hope I have the strength to walk it. This is at least two episodes in a row now that we've seen this type of uh, statement from her again that garden of gethsemane type yep. of path that she is on and so she's definitely being set up to be some sort of christ figure in this storyline uh and again christ was you know 100% man and 100% god and there's just this mixture of things that that boggle the yeah. mind but there's so many angles you can take at this thing with lexi and and just really see that I think they're making it very clear that that's that's kind of what she is in this story at this point. Yeah, and th- and it makes it so scary because I mean, at least we knew that Jesus knew the pl- God's plan from the very beginning. He knew why he was on this earth and why he was coming to die for our sins. But mm-hmm. I mean, here it does not seem like she knows at all what her actual purpose is. It's just like right. she she has to 
create a peaceable people in order to live peaceably. I mean, that seems like the story she has been told. Yeah. The story that she has been told. And that is, yeah. uh, and that <laughs> is really, uh, what, what we are. That's the point we're at here in the, in the episode, because at this point in the episode, we're kind of going, well, what was the overlord lying about? Uh, you've got her out of control. You've got Ben. And there's so many things, you know, you, you didn't really know exactly what to do with it. But then we get the final scene of the episode. Scorch is uh, has arrived where Team Hal and the Volm have just vacated. Picks up some dirt, crushes it, and somehow, magically, he's able to now uh, communicate telepathically with the other overlord, the monk. And we're taken to some sort of, is it their homeland? I don't know what it is, but it was really a, a fascinating scene. I had to... This whole thing with Lexi and Anne and, and the overlords, I didn't write any notes down the first time through because I knew that there was so much <laughs> that I wasn't even getting. Right. I was going to have to watch that again. Oh, I know. I was like, as soon as they went in onto that other planet, I like, I like sat up on the couch and mm-hmm. I'm going, I can't even pay close enough attention here to hear what they're saying because I'm trying to concentrate on paying attention. <laughs> But yeah. I mean, there, uh, it was very much like a, we're, we're getting a snapshot of the villains plans here. The villains are kind of revealing their end game in the midst of all of this back and forth. But yeah, we, you know, I asked you a couple of weeks ago <laughs> if the Ashvini could be redeemed at all. And, and I, and I had made some mental notes just going you know if if this or this happened i could see a road to redemption here for them you know trying Mm -hmm. to give them allowances for growing up in a world very very different from humans but i mean clearly their only intention here is manipulation and the complete destruction of humanity yeah and i was confused about it the first time i watched it i wasn't sure because these two guys, these two overlords, they're clearly not operating by the same call sheet. They're on, they have different strategies. And I wasn't sure if their strategies put them on opposing teams. But the second time I watched it, the opinion that, that I developed was that they are on the same team. They both do have the same objective in mind, which is exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. But they both have different ways which they think are the, is the better way to accomplish that. Yeah. One. And, and, you know, I, t- I mentioned in, in, earlier in our podcast that I, I paid more attention to the, to the two overlords and found that they are quite distinct. Yeah. What I noticed is that Scorch is, and he's the, he's the one that is the more aggressive one. He's also, uh-huh. if you look at his, his, his body and his suit is harder, it looks like it's maybe even made of metal. His face, his head have scarring all over him. It looks like he's, he's, you know, He's battered. He's been through a hmm. lot of fights, and it seems like that's his approach to things, brute force. Whereas the monk was uh, very smooth-skinned. His, his, yeah. his, his um, texture of his skin was much, much smoother. And you think about him trying to take a more of a, a pacifist, you know, quote-unquote yeah. pacifist role, but very, very manipulative, one going uh, after hearts and minds and one just, just going to to overcome them by sheer, you know, force and domination. That's really interesting. I hadn't seen it that way. That's really cool. I really like that. 
I wouldn't have if you guys hadn't, you know, you you and some others last week were yeah, they look so different. I'm like, oh, I don't know. So I made it a point <laughs> this week and I was glad that I did. Yeah, me too. Because, yeah, because he also had those kind of long flowing robes and we've been calling mm-hmm. him a monk from the very beginning. I love that. Huh. And the monk and... Uh, um, Scorch. Thank you, Scorch. I, all I could think of was Char, and I knew that was wrong. <laughs> Char. The monk and Scorch are what they are being referred to on the IMDb page. So I'm, I'm okay. thinking that is that is the actual character name yes, that they've been given. We do get a name, though, right? Uh, Scorch calls monk uh, Geminus, I believe. Geminus, yeah, which is a derivative of Gemini, I'm thinking. Right, that Two was brothers. what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So are they maybe they're brothers? And you know, that gave me yeah. a, like a Loki and, and Thor vibe where yeah. you have these two rival oh, brothers. Like yeah. I don't know. I like I like, it. I like the brother because I think my, my first thought was father son. Uh not I mean, I can't tell the age of the Ishveni at all. So I I think that was my first impression because it seemed like uh the monk was trying to control Geminus a bit, but mm-hmm. same thing. I mean yeah, I like I like the Thor Loki analysis. <laughs> Not that the monk is very warrior-ish, but yeah, still in the approach. But but I think Thor is more of the negotiating, negotiate first, kill later. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, my favorite comment, uh, for, I think it was um, the monk made it was his daughter is more powerful than we imagined. Yeah, that's scary, isn't it? That is so scary. <laughs> because that that is it all hinges on her. Which path right. is she going to take? Which side is she going to take? Which part of her DNA is she going to to more identify with because she's going to be the tipping point. Right. Well, and then and then even beyond that, they said when she comes to full maturation, then the transformation will begin. And I mean this whole time she has been a hybrid. <laughs> she mm-hmm. has been genetically different. She has, I mean, nobody will deny that there's something different about her just by watching her grow over the last year. But what is? what do they mean by the transformation then? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, really what came to mind first was the transfiguration. Mm-hmm. But stepping back, I mean, you think physically, you think emotionally i don't know i don't i I can't see anything other than physically though i mean when when you say transformation it just seems like it'll be hmm hmm, hmm. <laughs> i don't even i don't even know how to theorize on this i, I mean know, i have right? nothing to work with <laughs> uh, well let's oh. see what some of the listeners had to say gannon said we know now that the monk is not a good guy. <laughs> but my question is, was he the overlord connected to Anne in the flashback in Exodus? Once again, design-wise, he seemed very, uh, very separate. And even though they all look similar, I think this season has diversified the overlords quite well. But Monk said that he was not the instigator and that the others are involved Perhaps that overlord on the ship was truly an ally, but was caught and Monk took his place, deceiving Lexi furthermore and using Mm. her since it's clear Scorch and Monk are working together. Hmm. 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 Yeah, there's a lot of questions and and we obviously don't know even half of the overlords that are at that play here. We we know two of them. You know, we've seen more than these, just these two, but that's just it. Mm-hmm. We've just seen them in very 
small doses, so we don't really know how to characterize them at all, let alone what their intentions might be and and which ones played which role in the past. So it's kind of neat to have to try to fit these pieces we're now getting into stuff that we've seen in in seasons past because it's it's a nice little challenge. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I I like that we're getting more involvement from them, you know, just like we're we're getting another member of the Volm possibly Mm -hmm, being a little bit mm -hmm. more outspoken. It just, it helps to round out a species when you can have more than one point of view. (laughs) Exactly, right. Especially when it looks like they're so opposed and yet on the same side. Mm -hmm. Gannon also said that uh, the meeting between Scorch and the monk was extremely fascinating. He got the feeling that they were physically connected, similar to how they communicate through harnessed kids. It opens up a lot of possibilities, but... Uh, my question is not exactly on how that scene plays out, as fascinating as it was, but where it took place. Was it just a manifestation of their mind? The Ashvini homeworld? The future that will become of Earth? Oh, mm. thoughts? My initial thought was that it was their home planet. It uh-huh. looked like an inviting place I want to go vacation to yeah. as soon as I can. Volcanoes everywhere. Yeah. What was your it thought? Look like, well, yeah, it, it kind of looked like, have you seen um, Ender's Game? No. Okay. It kind of looks like the world that they destroy or where the buggers live, Mm. but not, you won't get that anyway. So, I mean, it seemed like it, the terrain was different enough that it could be their home world. It seems like they would want a safe place to go. I don't know. I'd, like, it, it would help so much more to know what they were actually doing with the dirt. And I mean, I, I don't have any, <laughs> I don't even have any theories there because I don't know yeah. what they were doing. Well, and the other thing too is if it is their home world, is that what their home wor- world is supposed to look like or has been their home, has their home world been ravaged by either themselves mm-hmm. or some other species? And that's what got this whole thing. Either one of those could have been what got this ball rolling in the first place. Right. You know, they destroyed right. their own world. They had to go looking for another one. I mean, I know that's a... Uh, kind of a trope that's been played out, but it's still a very realistic possibility. Or perhaps they are, um, they were beat up by somebody and it destroyed their world. And so they're out, you know, trying to take revenge on the universe. Yeah. Now. Well, they did say that there was a bigger threat coming that the humans they couldn't did. even imagine. So they did. Didn't possibly they? that yeah. was their world that, that, that these people had destroyed. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Here's what Barb had to say about the overlords. Lexi is clearly a pawn in the Esfini chess game, and while some folks may be dissing the volcano telephone line, I found the apparent petty remarks between the two overlords to be interesting. Perhaps the Esfini team is not in complete agreement on the plan for world domination, or at least there is some jealousy and rivalry between some overlords, much like leaders and politicians at odds with each other over policy. Let's see if it provides our team with opportunities to split the factions either knowingly or unknowingly. And that's important because a house divided against itself cannot stand as, as obviously as, as a well-known phrase, but it could come to a point here where there is division among them. Right now, mm-hmm. I think the understanding is that they have an agreement. You try your way, I'm going to try my way, and there's room for both of that. But if there comes a time where one of their methods becomes clearly superior to the other one and the other one kind of has to relinquish their method to the other one, then that could make for some, some infighting that would, could really weaken them. Yep. If only Miles and Monroe could get along this well. <laughs> Might have had season three. About. I don't yeah. mean either. 
Yeah. On another note, Alex uh, from the UK wrote in and asked, are skitters an unperfected evolutionary mutation to be used as weapons against the Ashvini's supposed enemy? And is Lexi the perfected type to be used as said by Ashvini? as a weapon will her dna pattern be replicated when she's at full maturation to create an army well i definitely think that they they said at one point that she is an experiment mhm as she for is a weapon th- she is a weapon she's definitely mm-hmm. a weapon we got that answered this mm-hmm. week uh as for creating others like her i mean first you have to get enough women who are pregnant in order to make an army yeah. But, you know, after that, it doesn't even, it won't take that long. I mean, it took a year for Lexi to get yeah. to this stage. So it's not All like right. it'll take a long time. But yeah, I mean, I, I, you have to imagine that if this works, this is going to be their best shot at winning the humans over. All right. right. That, that came out wrong at controlling the humans or whatever, making them yeah. want Defeating to be on them. their side. Right. right. Because, because Lexi has an emotional bond to these guys and this race, even Despite all that they have done to this world, she she can still look at her other half and say, you know, I don't care that you guys were just massacred by these people. They're, they're still a part of me. Yeah, you know what just occurred to me? She doesn't have the benefit of having seen the world before the Eshveni arrived. Yeah. She doesn't really fully understand and not to say that she couldn't still be manipulated like team leader was, but right. she doesn't you know, have the full understanding of what the Ashvini did because she she's never known a world without the Ashvini being present. Right. And she can read about it all she wants, but there's a very different... It's not the same. Yeah. yeah. There's a very different... Uh, you can experience it and you can read about it. It's very different. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, I loved the episode. This season is so good. And I yeah. think that now that we have more of our teams together with the... Looks like more of them are going to be joining up soon. Some dis- some uh, distinctions have been made that we've been wanting to figure out, and a whole lot of new questions have been posed. So this is just really getting great. Yeah, very much so. What was your rating? I gave it 8.5 rescue missions. Nice. I gave it nine gallons of fuel. Hmm. And I included some of the listener um, ratings this week. That's something that I'll try to start doing each week. Riblet gave it nine fire handling, fire communicating Isvini. And Barb gave it nine bowls of soup. Nice. Dun, dun, dun. All right. No, it was a very strong episode overall, and it moved very well. Yeah, definitely did. I was pleased. Very pleased. All right, let's talk about some Twitter stuff. Well, Emily, you came up with the Twitter poll question this week. Uh, do you want to do the Twitter segment? I shall. You know, I'm I'm still only seeing one. Is that right? I'm only seeing barbs and then a couple in a different language. Yeah, that is the only one I'm seeing as well. Now, there was one that came in without the hashtag. Let me Let me find it while you're reading barbs. Okay. The Twitter question was, will Lexi let Ben's warning sink in? Will she come around? Mm -hmm. And I mostly, I went with this question because I was so intrigued by Ben's passionate, he's lying, and even a little bit of Lexi's reaction to him in that she might almost believe him. And yet at the very end, she still goes up to the Eshvini, who is the, the monk who's tied up and 
seems to react affectionately to him. So I was very interested in where this will go. So Barb says, Lexi will only realize the consequences when Ben dies for her. Oh, that's Mm. right. She predicted Ben's death, didn't she? Yeah. You know, Barb, I'm actually kind of getting on board with that. Not that I want Ben dead, but that it might be the only way for her to actually see how passionate the human race is about surviving. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I hope not. I I love him on the yeah. show. I want to, I don't want to see I him know. die. Uh, C.W. Bork said, I think eventually Lexi will, but it will take a while and someone will pay dearly for it before she snaps out of it. So there you go. <laughs> Sounds like he's on the same Somebody's page as pay. Barb. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Well, we're going to ask another Twitter poll question next week, and we'd love to have more than two responses. And that means we want to hear from you. So follow us on Twitter at GSM Podcasts. We're going to tweet that question out throughout Monday and Tuesday. And we do our podcast Tuesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern. So you'll have plenty of time to respond to our Twitter poll question. Make sure you use the hashtag BCTwit as in BerserkerCast twit, so that we can easily find your response and include it in next week's show. Right. We don't want to leave you out. That's right. You can also connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash golden spiral media. We also want to hear your lovely voice or your beautiful words. So send us in feedback. The easiest way to do it is to go to www.goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. And there you can either record a message or send us written feedback or upload an audio file if you so choose. And we can put that on the show as we have done in this one. Or you can call our voice feedback line at 304-837-2278. And the deadline for all feedback is Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern because, as Daryl just said, we start recording at 8 p.m. and we need a little bit of time to be able to listen to what you guys got to say, too. That's right. Yep. Well, thank you for tuning into this episode of Berserker Cast. We hope that you enjoyed the episode this week as much as we did and hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as we did getting to talk about the episode. And join us next week again, 8 o'clock Eastern on Tuesdays. And you can do that over at goldenspiralmedia.com slash live. So we want to see you in the live show next week. And until then. It's always easy to get carried away by aliens. <laughs> That's right. And resistance is never futile. 